Welcome to Seers, Beers, Knowers, and Doers, a podcast about intuition. Do you know what that is? Intuition to me is that inner sense or knowing that something is true, and yet I have no proof. But there's so many definitions, and there's so many ways it can come. I'm looking to bring together and share with you some amazing guests who have some amazing life stories and also some insights into how intuition can come. And I'm looking to gather those crows in the trees. I hope you're one of them. I hope that this podcast inspires you to be more connected to your intuition. And I hope that by doing that, we make the world a better place. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. My guest today is a foodie. She's a thriver and a survivor. She's a phoenix. She's a world traveler, an animal advocate. She's a personal trainer. My guest today is Linda Stewart. We're excited to have you here today, Linda, because, I mean, you introduced me to the transformation game, which is a very intuitive game. So I know you have a message to share to help with everybody. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Prince Edward Island born, New Brunswick raised, moved to Ontario, from Ontario back to New Brunswick, and from New Brunswick to the southwest of France. Yes, and that was a journey for sure. I was involved in the New Brunswick to southwest of France portion, and the strength that I saw was incredible. You moved five pets, if I remember correctly? Yep. And by yourself? Yes, husband was working at sea, so we did it on January 20th in the middle of a snowstorm, drove from Moncton down to Halifax, and throughout the course of the day, got everybody on a plane to Montreal, and onward we went. Yeah, it was a big, big thing, but I think it served you well to be in France. Not only for our personal lives, health-wise, the lives of the dogs, honestly. I mean, our bull mastiff, Winston, is, will be 12 at Christmas. I don't think that would happen in Canada. Just with the weather, if nothing else. I mean, you know, going out minus 30 in the winter and his arthritis and stuff, uh, I think living here has really, really let him live longer. So we're, we're happy about that. Yes, absolutely. So before we chatted, you had talked about a very impactful event that happened, and you've named it Forks versus Bumps in the Road. And I think it's it's a message that one in three is going to resonate because it's about a situation that took your power and made you question your intuition and where it led you from there and how you've arrived now with all this awareness of the impact of how we handle things. Love interacting with older people. We were very lucky to have a neighbor here who lasted till 94 and he was multilingual. So we got to benefit from his life experience. And I've always had a, a bending that way. I've always leaned towards listening to what the older people have to say. But it occurs to me that we don't take our lessons and share them. We don't show our vulnerabilities. We don't show where we made our mistakes. And we also don't lead by example that it's okay to fall and keep getting back up. And I think that's a message that really needs to be grabbed to hold on. There's a lot of drama around um, an attempt of failure and I can't go on again and that this is the end strong. When you realize that there's a pattern to life, there are bumps in the road and forks in the road, and it's how you navigate them. Um, and we navigate them by being true to yourself. And that involves a connection. And a lot of us lose that connection for one reason or another. And I lost mine in the summer of 1975. 
and I, I lost myself a lot, definitely. And I probably didn't pick myself up until, oh, 79 to 81 is when I sort of came into my own and completely changed my life and followed a path that I'm still living. Wow. Those dark years were definitely dark years. So um, I just received full body goosebumps. So it's like finding yourself again that whatever took you there is going to be. But, but I think sometimes we have to lose ourselves to value finding ourselves and to value ourselves more. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a self-esteem journey in a certain respect. Yeah, It's trusting your intuition and believing that you have value. And, and, and acting on that. Somebody posted the other day, and I picked up on it, about life is not about punishment. And uh, I've, I've got a lot of young friends who are still in the field of fitness and, and wellness, and we seem to fall on either side of the line. There's the, I'm 60 and still doing 100 push-ups a day, and I don't let liquor touch my lips, and I eat a strict bio diet, and there's, you know, that, and there's there's the laissez-faire diet, you know, the do what I want, don't really pay attention, had a couple of kids, let myself go, that's life. So we need to find a balance in there. And they're both sides of the fence. And, you know, I'm, I'm not judging. I'm just saying by observing other people and fitness people are particularly, and I, uh, my gut says 75% of fitness people are judgmental um, and, and, and not just the fitness people, but the people who hire the fitness people. We're just not valuing the entire package. So true. And and not just in the fitness industry. It's almost been a creation of society that you have to look and be a certain way in order to be valued. And that I want to just blow up because we miss so many messages. Yes and no. Because at the same time, we're not giving you permission to be a sloth on a couch that's way over your healthy BMI do any activity but this is me love my curves I love myself right loving yourself oh well and good but you are not optimizing the gift that has been given the vehicle that carries your spirit and your soul that represents your true you right and so I think where the conflict comes in it's finding that middle ground it's accepting that as I said to a young lady the other day we're not Olympic athletes and even Olympic athletes have hills and valleys they are never always at top form. We have to go with the flow. We have to let ourselves back off a bit. We have to push ahead. But we need to work within certain parameters. So it's not gain 50 pounds, lose 50 pounds, do it on a regular basis. Right. It's like gentle flux of letting ourselves enjoy our bodies and our lives and finding a middle road. So that resonates with me. The summer between high school and university, I was um, assaulted and left in the field. I really don't remember how I got back to the place that I was working. I do recall climbing the stairs, having a shower, trying to clean myself up, and going to work. And no one bothered to ask where I was or where the bruises came from or anything like that. It was just not spoken. My entire perception of who I was, my my value was, was gone. And I filled those spaces with food, with cigarettes, with drugs, and with alcohol, and probably with some sex, too. And... Nobody bothered to ask how I could have gone from this girl to that girl, which I think was disappointing when I look back on it. But it's one of those conversations that you can have on a train or a bus or a plane where you know you're never going to see anyone again. It was 1981, and I had been teaching fitness for about six months, maybe a year. 
and got myself on a strict diet, was very good to myself, and so on and so forth. And I sat next to a rape crisis counselor on the bus, Peterborough, Ontario. And I just let this, I hadn't told anyone, I hadn't told anyone what had happened to me. And I let this all spew out. And then I told her how I had gone from being a law student <laughs> to, to going back into sports and fitness and, and health and wellness. And I completely changed my life around. And she, at the end of the time, she got off the bus and she said, it sounds like over the, the two years that you've been telling me about, you have done everything a rape crisis counselor would have you do, but you did it on your own. Wow. So that, yeah, that was important to me. Wonderful to have validation, right? But isn't it interesting that that little angel ended up next to me on the bus at right, just the right time? Absolutely. And those things happen. It is incredible. Synchronicities. Absolutely. I like the, uh, if you see somebody three times in the course of a day, you better stop on the third time and ask what it is you're supposed to be receiving from each other. So, yes, fitness and wellness, uh, dance, exercise, to music. I started out with Barbie Allen Dance Exercise in Toronto in a church basement. I ended up teaching so many classes that I left my job with Gulf Oil doing political research. And then just, just kept going. Went back to school for sports injury management, became an athletic therapist. Ended up running uh, the YWCA in Hamilton and then the Champions Fitness in Hamilton. And then on to McMaster University to be a fitness and wellness coordinator there at the brand new wellness facility called The Pulse. So we had 150 staff, 150 classes a week. We were probably the second most advanced fitness center in Canada, except for the Calgary one, which was Olympic. We rocked. We did some cool things. Yeah. I got to present conferences. I was down being the athletic therapist, for example, for IDEA in San Diego. And I had gained a lot of weight because I was on chemotherapy and steroids. Did people know you were? I didn't tell anybody. The year I was diagnosed with colon cancer, I was going on the Monday to get my results. And on the Thursday, I had left to go to the CanFit Pro Conference in Toronto. And I was presenting. And uh, I had lost so much weight that you could like, count my ribs and stuff. And all I got that weekend was, oh, my God, you look so great. Oh, my God, Linda, you look great. And I remember thinking, I'm pretty sure I'm sick, but okay, I'll take the compliment. And then the next year, of course, when they invited me back, I had gained a lot of weight from the steroids and, and, and the chemicals and stuff. And, and my Dairy Queen visits, which I felt I deserved after having chemotherapy. I actually had people say to my face that I'd let myself go and they were disappointed in me. Wow. So I was down at San Diego at this conference. And as the on-site athletic therapist, there was a step class with uh, Carrie Anderson. Uh, a lean ballet dancer, I think, from San Francisco, if memory serves me, but she was teaching staff at a very high speed per minute. And there were maybe 800 people in the room, and I remember thinking, I better stick in this room because we're going to have some twisted ankles and stuff. And one of the room monitors said, you know, what are you here for? And I said, I expect to see a, a lot of injuries here because, frankly, in my opinion, this is a really high speed per minute. I prefer 120, 124 beats per minute. She teaches 128 to 132. And from behind me, I heard a voice that said, well, if you weren't so fat, maybe you could keep up. And it was her. Yeah, it was the presenter telling me that if I wasn't so fat, maybe I could keep up. So I get very disappointed in the fitness industry when this is what's happened. So I'm a bit of a rebel in that sense. Judge not the EV judge is a really big one for me. And it, it, it makes me angry. So anyway, forks in the road versus bump in the road. We all have them. And we can all use them, I think, to connect and modify make little adjustments on the road absolutely so how do you feel you receive your intuition 
like my body. My body rebels. Yeah. Body will send me messages. I've had three rounds of colon cancer. Two, two, I was treated with chemotherapy. And the third one, I did it myself. I know it sounds weird, but I did it myself by asking questions, very powerful, embarrassing questions about why I was doing this to myself. What message was I not listening that my body felt it had to go to such an extreme to get this sick to ask for attention again? What had I missed? And I just kept asking. And uh, one of the ladies in my yoga class in Grand Barishwa had given me a Doreen Virtue Chakra bouncing CD. And I had hooked it onto a little MP3 thing to take with me on. I was on the cruise ship. Here's another story. A doctor in, in London called me in and I had my tests. And called me in to get the results. He had his little assistant next to him, and he couldn't get my results up on the computer. And again, I could barely move. You could count my ribs. I was in a lot of pain. I was losing a lot of blood. And he's playing with his computer, and he's getting more and more frustrating. But now I'm going, it's fine. It's fine. And he's going, no, it's not. I, I have to show you this. It's here. I, I can't say this without showing you. And I said, it's fine. I said, I've decided to take a trip. I'm going to join my husband on the cruise. I need to be with my husband. And he leaned over and he said, you're not going to make it to the cruise. And I went, yes, 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 I will. And he went, no, you won't make it to the ship. And I said, fine, I can do this. I'm done. So he wrote on the card his home number, his cell phone number, and his office number, emergency number. And he said, this stays with you at all times because you're not going to make it. So I flew to Heathrow, threw myself in bed, got up the next morning, took the crew bus down from London to Southampton, passed out on the bus going down. They put me in a wheelchair to get on the ship, and I went to bed. I had my husband take me down to the spa, which had these lovely marble plinths in a room, heated room, with the colors of the chakra lights coming out of the ceiling. Oh. And, I, and I listened to this, and I started crying. I, I think I called you that day. I think you did. I remember Yes, I called you from the ship, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but I'm vibrating. I am vibrating. Yeah, just shot out of my arms and legs. And he was supposed to come back and get me because, of course, I was in a wheelchair. Yes. And I finished this, and I was so cleansed and so light, and I got up and I walked back to the room. Yeah, I remember that. I do. Yeah, and I came home, and there were all these messages, letters from the doctor under my door. And you must call, you must call, you must call. I called, I went in, and he was, you know, the kind of doctor who comes out and gets you in the waiting room. And I remember he came to the clipboard and he called me and he looked so concerned, bless him. And he looked up and he saw me and I stood up and I walked to him and I was clear I was in vibrant good health. And he went, that's not possible. Oh, yes, it is. That's not possible. And I said, let's go in your office and talk. And he sat down. He's from Marseille, this doctor, by the way. And he sat down and he said, I think I have to redo all your tests. And I said, yes, please do. And he did them. He said, I can't believe this, but you come back clean. What did you do? I said, well, it won't laugh at me. And that was it. So for me, intuition is my body. Uh, my body will yell when something's not right. And I've learned to listen to the little nudges that edge me closer and closer and closer. And I'm currently back on the steroids because I didn't listen. I had a very stressful situation happen here with babysitters in February. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Within two weeks, well, within a week, actually, I was bleeding from the colon again. 
and I should have listened. So there you go. I think we all go on this pendulum of, of listening and not listening because we've got external factors coming at us from either responsibility level, I should be doing this path. And so we get, we get caught up in almost the long game or we get caught up in, in the shoulds. Yeah. And, and that's pretty, yeah. Or listening to other people. Yeah. All, all of a sudden somebody else's opinion matters more than ours mom a dad and that's old chemistry or old karma or a partner whatever and yeah it's by the obligation yeah we give a voice to somebody else and sometimes too i think that we don't listen when we're supposed to rest because again an obligation has kept us operating at a high go 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 and and rest is a funny thing we almost have to give ourselves permission and put ourselves in the number one driver's seat in order to honor the rest side of things. Like it's, I don't know whether it's cultural. That's how the work was really good. The, the work-life balance here. I mean, I understand that in Scandinavia, it's even better than in, in France and in Spain, but the work-life balance here, I mean, it's a Sunday afternoon here. Number one, there isn't a car and there wouldn't be past 11 a.m. because get where you go and you spend the afternoon with family and friends and that's it it's a five-hour meal and on you go so there are days of rest so for example james is trying to put in the new tub he needed a washer he didn't have what he needed so he walked down to jean paul and annie's house our neighbors to see if they had something and the first comment out of annie's mouth was it's sunday you should be working but it's just saying it's not sunday's god's day which it is if you want to be it's a rest, it's a pause. And they take these pauses very seriously here. You're, you're forced into it. I think it, it was really eye-opening for us. I mean, even on the East Coast of Canada, where things aren't quite as high pressure as Ontario, to come here and go, okay, Monday morning, I'm going to this, 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 and then come back and then make some soup and then dip it. So I get up in my first few months here, or first few weeks here, with my list of things to do on Monday, discover that everything's closed until two in the afternoon because they were open Saturday morning. Part of you, you know, this type A is, you've got to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> I've got to do. But now you just go, well, of course they have Monday off. They work Saturday morning. It's so funny because you go to these restaurants on Sunday so you can have a day of rest with your family and all this. But the, the poor guy who's cooking and the people who are serving, they're having their day off. Yeah. And things here closed. I mean, our restaurants and our little villages and stuff will take a two-week holiday. They're entitled to six throughout the year, six to eight weeks of holidays. And they take them. And nobody goes, well, that's it. I'm never going back to that restaurant. Everybody goes, well, of course they're taking their two-week holiday. I'll just go to the restaurant across the corner then. And when the restaurant across the corner takes their two-week holiday, two holiday in another month, I'll, I'll come back to this restaurant. Bakeries closed. Grocery stores closed. Everything closes and no one judges because everybody's entitled to having a day of rest. Right. What a beautiful thing. It's absolutely incredible. It really is. And that's made a big difference, I think, to us as well. These important projects. Well, and you didn't even know that was a side benefit when you had the intuition to move to France for Pete's sakes. You didn't have a reason why you were moving. You just knew you were moving, if I remember correctly. It's like, I need to get out of here. Yeah, we wanted Europe. We were going to live in Portugal, rent a place in Portugal so that we could house hunt in Spain, Portugal, and France. Sort of that, because it's really close. You can, you know, house hunt in two or three hours and be in three countries. Again, synchronicity. I'd been speaking to a lady in Lisbon about renting properties, and I'd chosen a few, and I said, okay, seat sale. 
lovely travel agent among them got me a seat sale and we were going to go for four days. And I wrote, I said, I'd like to see four or five houses a day. And at the end of the four days, we'll sign a one-year lease. And she writes back and says, oh, well, no, I only sell properties. And I said, but I've been talking to you for three months about renting. You knew I wanted to rent. Oh, well, I only sell. So I called the dear travel agent back and went, oh, my God, I can't go to Lisbon now because I have nothing set up. Where else can I go? She said, Bordeaux. And I went, yeah, I'll take it. Um, French is a language I know. Um, and literally, over the weekend, we found a, an agent who showed us around for four days. And at the end of the four days, we, we had signed a lease for a year. But that was sheer luck. Everybody goes, how do you get to Bordeaux? We have no idea. It was a sale, and it was what we it was what we had on offer. It was literally decided in forty eight hours. Incredible! It, it's exactly like Rambashwa. They're not reticent, but they're waiting to see what kind of person you are. The worldly wise that bit that way, um, probably because of the second world war and the occupation here. Um, so they waited to see who we were, and, and when everybody sees you enough and gets the gist of you, the whiff of you in the community. We only have 300 people in our village. All of a sudden, you know, the waves, the smiles, the acknowledgements, the invitations. It's just wonderful to be here. It really fills our hearts. It really fills our hearts. These people are wonderful. So the other way that I think of you and I think of intuition is the connection you have with animals. I mean, I resonate with it because I kind of do the same. There's a ton of people I know who think the same way, but then there's a segment of people that are just like, oh, that's my dog, or oh, yeah, that's that's my horse. My horse is just riding. But if you only talk to them, better understanding that this, their personality is just mirroring yours or that they're trying to give you a message. So your family of four paws is such a beautiful thing to witness. And like, tell us a little bit about how animals and you have gotten along over the years which is, uh, I come from an animal family. I think, well, we, we had one fat cat called Fluffy. So my first experience with animals other than Fluffy was James's Rottweiler, Charlie Brown. Um, when this giant Rottweiler came running out of his sister's house to meet me because his sister was babysitting him, and he, like, literally leapt towards me, a 150-pound Rottweiler. You're my mom! <laughs> like, oh, my God! And James, of course, with the large Rottweiler, you have to command the dog and treat it with respect. But it was one-word commands. Not quite shit sung, but one-word commands. We were walking around this park in England where we lived for a while, and I'm chatting away to Charlie. So, shall we go here? Why don't we stop? Look, there's a car. Yeah. And he's going, no, no, no. You did one-word commands. And I went, no, he's listening. And he went, no, he's not. And I went, yes. So... From that corner, I took control of Charlie, and we just walked along. We had a little chat, and he just went, like, how did you do that? He said, well, he's listening, and I'm talking, and we're working together on having this nice walk. And that's just how it's been. So we went from Charlie, oh, God, Scooby-Doo, Quincy, Dudley Winston, we still have Winston, Allie, Mila, Lucy, Sally. Yeah, we just keep expanding. We're really lucky here again. Dudley, our bull mastiff, had scoliosis and hip dysplasia. We had a chiropractor down in Halifax. We would drive down and see her every couple of months. Um, but we found an animal osteopath up here, and she does energy work. And she works mostly with abused horses. So we were her first dog clients, and now she's really expanded dogs. Kept Dudley alive for at least another two years. At least yeah, two years. We just lost him last August. And we had a dog, bulldog, who was found in a cage. Breeder. 
in Belgium when they raided it. Uh, SOS Bulldog Friends raided it with the police, and they thought she was dead in the cage. She had a uterine infection and a broken leg, and she survived. And a lovely family in Montpellier spent 4,000 euros repairing her, only to discover that she was afraid of loud noises, and they lived in downtown Montpellier. So they went back to SOS Bulldog France and asked for someone who lived in the country. SOS Bulldog France sent an interviewer and her son down. They drove five hours to interview us in Sierra Land and went back and we adopted Allie. And she had leashed many asses, an autoimmune disease. So unfortunately, she lost her last August too. And this little girl here, our newest bulldog, her owner was 19, finished school, got a job in Paris. There was no way he could share a house with five people in Paris and keep a dog. So he left the dog with his parents. They already had a dog in their apartment and they were only allowed one. So they were given a certain period of time to find a new home. They weren't going to go with us because we were too far away. They couldn't interview us. They couldn't see our property. They just met us through a, a relation online. And because of an SOS Bulldog France reference letter and a reference letter from Allie's parents in Montpellier, they said, Highly, highly recommended. We'll we'll let you have her. And we have a friend in New Brunswick who is an animal communicator. We've known Marilyn now since the puppies were puppies, yes. and she speaks to them all the time. When I'm having a, I'm not getting the message. My kids aren't telling me what am I missing. Marilyn can pop into their heads, do a body scan on them, and and she and I work together to see what what's going on. Same way with Janice. Same way with you. So. And somebody just posted about Winston about, you know, hope he's doing better. You take good care of him. And I said, but it's a circle, isn't it? It's, I have such incredible circles of people, like you said, who all think the same way. And we all just go, gotcha. Let's do some Reiki. Let's do some energy work. Let's do some homeopathy. Let's do. All right. There's um, a follow-up coming over the book, and it's probably behind me. He wanted to do some sentience studies on dogs. And so we trained his dog to learn to go in an MRI so that he could put biscuits under his nose, things he liked, things he didn't like, things he loved and stuff. And clearly whatever he did years ago has been expanded because uh, that link that was on Facebook about intelligent dogs, and I think they put 12 to 14 dogs through an MRI and so they could see cognitive patterns of sentience, emotions, fear, hate, love, connection. They all exist in the brain of the dog. So... Oh, it's just an animal. You, you can't play that game anymore. So it's really nice, and it's a Harvard study. Fantastic. It takes a lot of effort to get these little dogs to learn to do the wolf, 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 wolf of an MRI. You know, humans who won't do it. So good on them for taking it further than we could ever have imagined that they would. Well, listen, Linda, thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been fantastic. It's always wonderful to chat this forum and hopefully it'll help some people get connected and stay connected. I would like everybody to realize that again, bumps in the road versus forks in the road. To listen to their breath, to listen to their body, to almost smell. Because I think fear smells and happiness smells, I think to go inside and cocoon yourself. And it doesn't have to be a big drama. You don't need, you know, candles and incense and 30 minutes in a room that's got LED lights going different colors. You just need to push the pause button, even if it's in getting in the car and closing your eyes. And 
I used to do something, I, I still do it. I go into the bathroom if I'm dazed or confused or I don't know what comes next. I can feel the type A hitting on me and then I and then I and then I should and then I could and then I will and then I and I go into a washroom and I wash my hands. And as I take the soap off my hands and the water goes down the sink, I say, It's not my will, it's thy will, what next? And then I just wait for the answer. And the answer comes. Once I've left the, the ladies' room, I pretty much know what's going to happen next. And it doesn't have to be next as in the next 30 days. It just has to be next. Perfect. Great way to end today. Thank you. All right. Love you. Make sure you get over here. Yes, I will. Promise. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. We truly appreciate our guests for sharing their stories and insights about how intuition has impacted their lives. And I'm so grateful for Peter Trainer for his time in giving me this original music. It's now your turn. It's your turn to listen and act on your own intuition and help make the world a better place. Until next time, keep seeing, being, knowing, and doing. If you like this podcast, please share it. If you want to find others like it, go to www.healingvitality.ca or wherever you would find your podcasts. We would love to have you join us on this journey. Come be a crow sitting in the tree. Be part of our community.